I told you to skadoot. We watched just before dawn, which means it's time for another Portland at the movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen, if you thought you had seen it all. Honey, look at you. Put on makeup. You never know who you might run into up here. And I hear some of them are kind of cute. Hello and welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies. My name is Todd Workoven and I am joined as always by Mark Middleton. Mark, how are you? I'm really well. I'm really well. Now good, good. I'm done watching this movie. <laughs> yes, and of course, Brian, the Unipiper Kid. How are you, Brian? I'm really good. I'm in a great mood this month. Good, good, good. Yes, I will hand this off to you in a second. We watched uh, the 1981, although in the in the uh, copyright at the end of the movie it says 1980, so I'm assuming it was made in 80 and released in 81. Um, uh, slasher horror film Just Before Dawn, which is something I had never heard of until Brian dropped it in our in our common Dropbox, and I watched it. And uh, we have Brian. Were you familiar with this movie? Not at all. Um, I think a long time ago I put it on our list of Portland movies that we've been collecting over the years, and um, I just had to go back. You know, we were looking for something um, scary in the horror genre, maybe to watch this month. And um, I, I had to re-Google it to even figure out what it was about, and uh, it sounded instead, interesting. Instead, we watched this. <laughs> and instead, we watched this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, before I watched this, you had kind of messaged me and was like, oh, this is, you know, you this reinvigorated your love of <laughs> Portland at the movies because uh, you're a big fan of this genre in general. Um, and what I noticed first out of the gate, and I'm not sure, like I said, you shared a, a copy with us, so I'm not sure where you got your copy, but the film itself is a beautiful, like rest, restored copy that just looks amazing. And I wanna get into some of that in a little bit, but um, so that was a good sign for me because I know, oh, this must have been released on Blu-ray and must be loved within the horror community and i did a kind of a quick youtube search and there's a bunch of youtube horror channels that have done reviews of this and it's it's not super well known but it's well known enough to get the blu-ray release and and some some fans of it so um why don't you walk us into this movie what is just before dawn just before dawn is uh your quintessential 1981 slasher film um I saw some of those same reviews that you did, and it seems the general consensus is that this is the most underrated slasher film of all time. Um, wow. I, I think, you know, it doesn't do anything particularly revolutionary, but I think what it does is hit all the right notes for the movie that it's trying to be. Um, in this case, it takes place, uh, it's kind of like Deliverance meets the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in Oregon. Because <laughs> um, you've got this group of kids that are going on uh, a camping trip um, and they're headed off into the woods. Um, it's a group of five of them. You've got the, the blonde girl um, who's dating the blonde guy. Um, you've got the redhead girl who's dating the uh, one of the brunette 
guy, brown-haired guys, <laughs> and you've got his brother, uh, the, uh, quote, nerd with glasses, uh, who was a photographer. I was shocked at the end when one of those brown-haired characters said, my brother, to that guy in the glasses. I was like, what? <laughs> They're related? <laughs> yep. Um, and and so they're off on their trip, and they of course meet the uh, the locals who kind of set the tone for the area that they're going into. Um, I, I guess uh, actually the movie starts with um, uh, a kill scene. Um, we're introduced very early to uh, um, these two uh, hunters. One of them is uh, very drunk. And they stumble upon an abandoned church in the woods. Um, and in that church, one of them, um, uh, this, we're introduced to our slasher, who is a, a large man um, with wielding a machete. <laughs> and uh, that that first right out of the gate was a was a pretty decent kill. I agree. I, I watched this uh, with my wife Sarah, who uh, at that first kill she immediately dubbed the slasher the uh, butt stabber, because um, that blade goes. That's even kind of underselling it because it doesn't. He doesn't get stabbed in the, in butt. the butt. He gets stabbed through the dick and out the butt. <laughs> out yes. The butt. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a great way to start the movie. Really, it sets the tone. <laughs> It does, yeah. And so the rest of the movie kind of follows this uh, group of, of campers or, or whoever they are uh, kind of being um, and, and this killer kind of going through. Now, I did I, I did not love this movie quite like you did, Brian, mm-hmm. um, although I really, really did like it, especially because of how well made it was. Like, I kept being shocked at how competent and even good like the cinematography in this movie, the stunts in this movie, even the acting for for what this movie is. I mean, it's a low-budget slasher movie from the 80s. Even the actors were good, and like still some of them are still working. I thought that was... I looked up uh, like the resumes of all of the main stars, and it seems like they all went on the same acting circuit after this film, and they all end up being uh, like series regulars in the same four or five shows, like Murder, She Wrote, Jag, Law & Order. <laughs> Falcon's Crest. well as long as we're talking about the cast and crew so like i kept there were there are moments in this movie and by moments i mean long long tedious sections where i feel like things are just unfolding in real time so i had the time to kind of do an an imdb deep dive because i was like again this movie is so competent so well done you know i kind of wanted to see it and so i was shocked that the director never really, I mean, he did a handful of things that nobody's heard of. Something called Satan's Little Helper, which I thought looked pretty funny. Um, the He's, cinematographer. He, he did do uh, Squirm, though, which is one of the all time great MST3K classics. Oh, okay. I'm oh, not familiar with that. That's it, pretty great. It's about killer worms. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And so, and the cinematographer didn't really do much as far as being a cinematographer. He did work on crews and, and lighting stuff. But then I looked into the stuntmen. Did you guys look into the stuntmen? Because I continually was like, these stunts are. There were a lot of stunts. And they're great. And so, if you'll indulge me in a, in a, for a moment here, there are five credited stuntmen. There's a main stunt coordinator, 
I believe, three other stunt men and then two stunt women. Please. And so I am going to read you a not nearly comprehensive list of some of the movies collectively that all of these stuntmen have worked on. So you might want to get comfortable here. (laughs) All right. Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, Apocalypse Now, Blues Brothers, Beastmaster, DC Cab, The A-Team, Predator, Ferris Bueller, Action Jackson, Dead Again, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Movie, Groundhog Day, True Romance, True Lies, Mr. Holland's Opus, Falling Down, French Connection, Zapped with Scott Bayo and Willie Ames, yes. The 1966 Batman, The Hitcher, Airwolf, MacGyver, Homer and Eddie, uh, blazing, <laughs> blazing saddles, Corvette Summer. Do you have you ever heard of Corvette Summer? No. It's famous for like Corvette Summer is famous for one reason, and that reason is because it was filmed after Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill, where he was in an automobile accident that screwed up his no the screwed up his nose. So yeah. that's you always hear that Empire Strikes Back. They had to have the scene of the Wampa, you know, hitting him in the nose to kind of explain why he looked different. It's because of an accident on the set of Corvette Summer. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Continuing. Beverly Hills Cop, Thelma and Louise, Cobra, Robocop and Robocop 2, Fast and the Furious 5, 6, 7, and 8. Jeez. The Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider, Moonwalker, Maniac Cop. Turner and Hooch, Cool as Ice, The Rock, Con Air, Dante's Peak, and Volcano. <laughs> Bad, Boys, Bad Boys 2 and 3, Anchorman, The Day After Tomorrow, Sons of Anarchy. And now just the female, uh, one of the females, They Live, The Abyss, Total Recall, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Showgirls, and Titanic. Wow. It's incredible. So that really really shows in this movie because like there's this awesome rope bridge sequence that happens that's kind of uh temple of doom-esque that like they are getting these super far away shots over like a real life scary waterfall with this like just little rinky dink rope bridge that they're all on they fall down this gigantic hill like yeah that one which, was nuts and that must have been before blackberries because like <laughs> If there, <laughs> there is no it's, way they would have survived hardcore. that. Yeah, yeah, and they just um, roll it, it, for fun. They were like, "Oh, I'm gonna roll down this hill," and then they, sh- they yeah. the camera zooms out and they show them going all the way down the hill. Yeah, and it's not like there's the close-ups where you kind of see them quick roll through flame. They're like on the other side of the gorge, filling filming this like 500 foot hill that they're just like, <laughs> "Wee!" So uh, between there's that the and like. Of that. I, Right, right there uh, is the screenshot on. Oh on yeah, the yeah. Screen right now. And that, yeah, that huge is that hill is huge. Yeah, and there's the waterfall. There's so this the was filmed uh, around Silver Lake Falls, correct? Yes, Silver um, Falls. That's what I read. Um, which uh, watching it, that was my first guess too. So like, it truly does look like Silver uh, Silver Falls State Park. Yeah, and and again, I mean, the cinematography, and it's all filmed out there in the wilderness, and and. It, this movie just looks beautiful too, which is why I was shocked that after reading all the stuntmen going on to doing everything Hollywood has ever produced, I was surprised that the cinematographer and the director didn't really have that same that same uh, success afterwards. So yeah, huh? Um, so a movie like this must be what all the stunt people do, like on the off season, just to stay in shape. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> 
Totally. So I was a little disappointed. You mentioned, Brian, that the, the very first scene shows these two kind of hillbilly types in this kind of abandoned <clears throat> church in the middle of the woods, and they're doing something or other, and they look up in the hole in the roof, and there's this big fat man that's there, and then they eventually get stabbed with, or one of them eventually gets stabbed. Um, I was kind of disappointed in this movie because I felt like because we just saw right out of the gate that this was just a big fat guy, <laughs> like that ruined so much of the tension, the what's out there, the what are we fighting against, and especially since they talk about the, there's some other hill people and there's the um, George Kennedy who plays the forest ranger who warns the kids not to go into the woods. Uh, he also talks about the rumors of this demon that's in the area and stuff like that. And none of that tracked because from the gate, we're like, well, it's just a fat guy. Like yeah. what, and what I saw on one of the YouTube reviews is that the initial script had a lot more of this demon aspect. It was some sort of unexplained phenomenon like that. And eventually that kind of just got trashed for just kind of a more basic slasher, you know, hill person. But I was kind of disappointed that I thought that, that just took away a lot of the tension of the, because even in like Friday the 13th, I mean, we know it's Jason, but it's still, like, I don't know. It just felt so explicit. Yeah, I would agree. And they they allude to it a couple times that just fall flat. Like uh, towards the end of the movie, the girlfriend, uh, uh, Connie Constance, uh, she seems to be possessed, if you will. uh, And... Uh, she puts on the makeup and and the uh, the boyfriend is like, what are you doing? We just saw a murder. We're like, we're out here in the woods and like, well, you never know who you're going to meet out here. And you could tell that she was possessed, like she was not herself and she, yeah. she was like, and then and then they just ignored that. And that makes so much sense now that you say that, because that's <clears throat> one part I didn't put together. So like all of their friends just die. And she goes in and to her tent and puts on makeup and dolls herself up and is like all horny. And I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? Right. Like, I know we all cope differently <laughs> to trauma, but that is not an appropriate response. <laughs> yes. Like, that makes sense if she was supposed to be. I, I would I would subtitle this movie as that was not an appropriate response. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> You're you're dancing in the woods, uh, listening to a radio. Somebody shoots your radio with a shotgun, and they're like, "Who's there?" <laughs> and they just stand there and talk to them. You know that that is not an appropriate response. Is the I, subte- subtext of this movie? I did write down that slight, slightly because there's this this group. How old are these are these this group of campers? How old are they supposed to be? I think they're supposed to be like early twenty somethings. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think some of them were a little bit older though. I was gonna say that one guy is like fifty years old. <laughs> yeah, the blonde guy. The blonde yeah. guy. Yeah, he had a good comb over going too. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I wrote I wrote down because they're they're yeah they're having this this camp out and they're listening to music and there's they just play a full song in which we watch them all dance and I wrote down that slightly gyrating to music around a campfire where others slowly make out is my nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, 
I so I watched this movie twice, um, once uh, about a month ago, and then just today. Um, and when I watched it today, I, I read up on it a little bit more, so I knew a little bit more about what would have been going on in making this movie. Um, and so I, you probably found out too that originally this uh, the script had a lot more uh, religious uh, elements, and that, you know oh. it was, there was more uh, of um, religious themes, and it was all about the demons and. Um, and it was originally called The Last Ritual, I think. Um, but knowing that and then watching it, there's all these references they make to like the devils and releasing the demons. And it makes so much more sense knowing how this movie started. And apparently the director, after he first read the script, he didn't like, uh, he thought that it just didn't work and he wanted to strip all of that out. So what you're left with is his attempt to just take all the religious elements out of the script. So you, you end up with, um, you know, these constant references to the devil. And it, it, it does seem kind of weird that they keep saying that, but you already know that it's just this fat guy with a machete. <laughs> Twins. Well, it's, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned ritual because, like, at, at one point, so when the campers kind of know that something's wrong and, and and people are missing, we're also introduced to a different set of hill people, which is this, a father and a mother and a daughter, and they're clearly made out to be like they've lived in the woods for decades, you know, they're living in a, like, in a dirt house and like not wearing shoes, like typical, typical hillbilly stuff. And they're acting like paranoid and they're saying demon you're gonna summon the demon and stuff like that and so my question was like has this thing killing people been around forever what triggers it how have they been protecting themselves <clears throat> till now and I wrote down have they been doing rituals to ward off you know huh. whatever this thing is because it's not like it's not like this group of campers activates this killer. I mean, we're showed before they show up at, on the, in the opening sequence that this murderer is already killing people who live there. So it's not like, you know, they're triggering something by their presence. And so well, I couldn't figure out. Well, the murderers, uh, you know, there's plural, they're twins, are the children. Spoilers. They're, part of the, they're, they're, <laughs> lo, they're the Logan family. Like, they're the sons of in the Logan family. And so they're not yeah. going to kill their they're not going to kill their own family. But then why was that family like so freaked out about like summoning the present and like, and well, how long has this been going on? And so my guess is that um, the, uh, they kill people who come onto their land other than their right. family. And the family knows that that is a thing that happens and they want to try and prevent any eyes, you know, drawn to their attention so that they don't want the, the you know, the, the outsiders coming in and, and raising the demons. So were those two people uh, at the very beginning, the guy who was stabbed through the dick, was he, were they interloper? Like what, I felt like they were also hill people because like that one guy would like, even was carrying around the little Ta thing of whiskey and like he was the drunk hillbilly or whatever. Ta well, Ty, Ty and Vatchel, uh, they were uh, <laughs> uncle and, and nephew uh, and they were just hunters. And so they had just, just finished killing a deer. They had put him on the truck that it, uh, amazingly explodes after bumping into a tree, uh, and and so they were they were just out in the woods hunting, uh, and came okay. across the the killer. Okay, what I did like my other vehicle related thing that I did like was um, 
Oh shoot! Now I totally forgot. I did. Oh no! Was they so the gr- the group of campers comes in in like a giant Winnebago, and I don't know what their plan is because they literally just drive the Winnebago until it gets stuck in the <laughs> woods. And I'm like, what is your exit strategy here? Like, even if you're not going to be murdered by someone at the end of this weekend, you still have to go home. It, it totally. did clearly seem like their plan was to just drive as close as they could get to their intended camping site until they couldn't drive any further. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, along with this is not an appropriate response, uh, (laughs) like an hour into their camping trip, one of the guys says, oh, somebody broke into an RV to our RV and stole everything. And everybody's like, all right. And nobody, nobody ever mentioned that again. Wasn't a deal. Well, that other girl's makeup got all stolen. And. And she sends her boyfriend out to find it in the woods. And she seems absolutely sure that she knows it was raccoons that stole her makeup. <laughs> and, and, then she, and then she's like, go find the raccoons that stole my makeup. <laughs> so, Brian, maybe you could. Well, I have two questions here. Uh, first, the, remind me, because I'll probably forget in my own train of thought. The second one is about tropes. But why you kind of mentioned the the title change of this movie? The title of this movie is Just Before Dawn, which I kept getting confused with the video game Until Dawn in yeah. my head. <laughs> but why this movie takes place over like the course of three days? Why is it called Just Before Dawn of all things? I, the final reveal, the final moments of the movie happen just before dawn. <laughs> Uh, that is as it, good as an explanation as I could come up with. That's literally like naming Titanic just before dawn. <laughs> it's like there's a lot of stuff that happens before that that's pertinent, but I guess. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out a timeline. They keep on spending the night. They keep like it doesn't seem like it's this is all that first night. They they have their campfire. They they spend it all day. Then. Yeah, there's a killing, and then they, he goes back and finds the the body at night, and and then the 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 guy um, <clears throat> George Kennedy, uh, the ranger, comes up in his horse to find them in the middle of the night. <laughs> he helps them get away from the killer, and then just leaves them alone while the killer's still out there. Uh, kill or yeah, whatever. Uh, it, it, the sequence of events, it, it was a little confusing of like, how many days was this? Uh, how many nights was this? And then the final moment. Maybe that's moment, why they were just like, we don't remember how long this was supposed to take place over. So let's just call it just before just, dawn. Just before dawn. And just so to the be final, safe. final moment of the movie was the raising of the sun. I guess. <laughs> I think it is but, a extremely generic uh, slasher film title that was probably pretty totally. safe. Which is kind of disappointing because, like, this is not... I mean, this is a generic, I would say, slasher film, but that kind of goes to my second question that I think, Brian, you'll know a little bit more because you know a little bit more about the genre in general. What? How much of this was already tropes? Like, this came out on the heels of the first Friday the 13th, so clearly it was a let's get in on this action. Friday the 13th was a hugely popular movie that came out, obviously spawned all those sequels. This came out right after that, but how many of these tropes? I guess there was the last house on the left. I I spit on your grave, which I haven't seen. But does this 
this has a lot of tropes like the fake scares of someone pretending to be the killer in the woods or you know the the woods are haunted you know all of that stuff is is any of that new in this um i think the only thing that this movie does that is truly new is the final kill which we can talk about later <laughs> oh um, my god yes but i think everything else um I, I don't think it was overplayed by this point um, but I think it, it was uh, this movie saw what was popular and was just riding the trend. Um, it definitely wasn't dated, um, but it's kind of crazy to think that this movie uh, was almost a full decade after uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, oh yeah. Um, but uh, to me, that that's the movie that it, it felt closest to. Um, but I, I read that the director hadn't even seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he started shooting this. See, and I didn't think I Texas Chainsaw Massacre didn't come to mind at, at at all to me. I mean, obviously Friday the Thirteenth was the one that kept jumping out on me because it was like campers in the woods being hunted down by this thing in the forest. I, I to me, when I think of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of that movie just because it looks like it was filmed through a gutter and like it just is the most disgusting thing just to look at just objectively so i've never been a fan of that was uh, in a stark contrast this movie looked just i keep saying it, it looked beautiful and what i liked about it is that a lot of it took place during the day which yeah. i thought was really great and like you don't get it's harder to make something scarier, obviously, during the day. And I thought they continually did a really good job of, of doing some interesting things even in the middle of the day to make it scary. Well, the, the director said his inspiration for the cinematography was uh, Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> shoot high. <laughs> oh, so not Toby Hooper. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that, I mean, and it, I, I think it shows. I keep going back to that, how I'm surprised that that cinematography group didn't, didn't go on to do like Howard's End or whatever. Um, I was also kind of disappointed. Um, we mentioned showing the killer in the very beginning. I also thought that they could have done a better job towards the end when we do realize, because we've caught glimpse of the big fat guy killer because whenever they, whenever he kills someone, he takes an article of their clothing. So like, the first guy that he kills is wearing like an orange safety vest and a hat or whatever, and he puts those on. He later has the sunglasses on of that one other nerdy guy that's part of the group or whatever. Um, but then we come to find out that there's two, two of the killers or twins, which I thought was just kind of lost quick in this scene and then could have been used somewhere else to like really really shown in that final girl battle that, oh shit, yep. there's two of them. I, right. I think that um, it, it may be part of the reason that they decided to show the killer so quickly is that they knew they still had that card up their sleeve of the, oh. the twin twist, um, but it just doesn't pay off very well. And, you know, honestly, what I think the killer is lacking is a mask. Mm -hmm. Um, or motivation. <laughs> well, I mean, what what truly uh, holds this movie back from being iconic is, I think, something more iconic about the slasher himself. Um, you know, Absolutely. Think, you think of Jason, you know, with his hockey mask and uh, Leatherface with his mask of human flesh. Like, if this, if he had just had some sort of very unique 
uh, visual identity. I, I think that would have put this movie in a, another category. Well, especially, man, especially when you think of, so this is 1980, 1981. This is right after uh, Friday the 13th. The original Friday the 13th doesn't have Jason in it. Right. So other than hmm. a machete, I, I forget if uh, Mrs. Voorhees used a machete or not, but like a lot of this stuff still could have been fairly new just because of you know, Jason didn't exist at... Jason doesn't wear the hockey mask until the end of Friday the 13th Part 3. Three, yeah. Which is like two two years or three years from now. Right. So, and I didn't even think of that, that having... Because whenever they did show these, kind of just their big dumpy fat guys, and like one of them sort of looked to have some prosthetics <laughs> on to kind of look deformed, and one of them just had like a paint splotch in the middle of his forehead, and like, and that's it. Yeah. It was, and so when you did see that, you weren't scared because you're like, it's just a big lumbering fat guy. Like, I will <laughs> I will swiftly outwalk him. Right, exactly. And then again, I think they were trying to give them a little bit of a personality quirk with uh, collecting an item from each of the victims. But yeah. that doesn't pay off because, like, the items he collects are just, like, a, a, fl- a flannel shirt and glasses. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> a, soon a red, he's just dressed uh, like an L.L. Bean catalog. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the winter collection. <laughs> uh, so, they, we uh, going back, it, it was... Uh, uh, filmed silver is it Silver Lake Falls or Silver Falls? Silver, silver Falls. Falls. Okay, because they say Silver Lake in the movie, which is why I keep saying. Um, oh yeah, let's talk which... about the location uh, real quick. Um, so uh, I don't know if you caught it, but they do acknowledge that the movie takes place uh, in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. There's a sign um, outside of the uh, the Forest Rangers little forestry shack. Um, that identifies it as Madison County, Oregon. Oh, okay. See, I didn't um, see that, and I, I just heard them when they said, we're staying up at Silver Lake to kind of throw off um, George Kennedy so that he didn't know where they were. But I feel like this was made at a time, either so under the radar or at a time where they didn't have a lot of rules for shooting out in, like, na- natural national parks because... Like, they are down in the bowl of, of Silver Falls, and they go behind, and they have some amazing shots. There is this wonderful sequence where they're all kind of swimming in the pool at the bottom of the falls, and it's the one of the couples of, uh, of the campers are swimming around, and, and you see the falls in the back, and they're swimming in the pool, and emerging through the falls towards you is you know the killer in his in his orange gear or whatever which i both liked and didn't like it was such a cool image to see because again it's during the day and so just to see them emerge was super cool and so the rest of that scene is um you know the there's horseplay and the boyfriend's kind of swimming underneath and like nipping at the girlfriend's legs and kind of bothering her and then you see him getting kind of rougher or whatever, and then it turns out the boyfriend went back to shore and it's been the killer the whole time that's been, you know, attacking her under the water. I kind of wish they would have waited again for that reveal so we as the audience didn't know until she looked at the shore and saw that her boyfriend wasn't there. And then we kind of all realized together, oh shit, this whole time it's been the killer. It was also a little bit... (laughs) 
Uh, is there a what big rig driving by somewhere? What was that? That, that was probably my, the uh, my cell phone just uh, buzzing oh. at me. <laughs> <laughs> it that sounded like the RV getting stuck, <laughs> blown. It was like it was like Chekhov's whistle that was uh, introduced in the first act of this movie to be used later. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that it was disappointing because uh, it was a cool shot and, you know, the killer emerges from behind the waterfall, but then when you see him, it's still just a fat guy with a machete. Oh, yeah. And again, that was the thing because that had already just deflated all of the tension. And you're totally right because a mask would have totally helped with that. And yeah. and that's such a shame because, yeah, now thinking of this, this could be another iconic – because this movie isn't – I don't think there's anything bad about it. There's some things that are too generic to be interesting. But at some point, I, I wondered, is this movie so competent that it becomes boring? Mm. And I that's what I was having trouble with because, like, there are that dance sequence or whatever, like, which goes on for five minutes. That well, the sequence... Yeah. I was going to ask which version of the film that you watched. Did you watch the regular or the extended See, and I only watched the regular. I don't think I watched the extended one. Um, and I'm noticing that these screenshots that Mark is sharing are from the extended uh, version. And I can tell so, because the film grain is clearly visible, that green line right there, for instance. Um, so that these, uh, so I'm, I'm assuming, Mark, that if these come from the version you watched, that you watched the uh, extended? I, I only watched the one that you gave me to download. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I sent a link to both. Uh, so I, what what do you I, know I what the I scrolled up to the first link that I saw which was the second one which is probably the extended. Yes. I didn't know there were two. Yeah. So are, are what are the the big differences between the two? Did you were you able to figure that out? Well, that's the thing. The uh, extended edition is 12 minutes longer. Um, but I could not tell you where that 12 minutes is. Um, I, and I would say that overall, um, I, I, I would say stick with the theatrical edition because um, it felt 12 minutes longer, but it didn't <laughs> add anything. Like I said, it, it's really, um, the only thing that stuck out to me that was different was um, that dance scene that you were talking about goes on for like five minutes longer. <laughs> It gets really ridiculous. <laughs> the kid uh, with the glasses starts like jumping and dancing and getting really wild. Um, it, it gets silly. I had no idea there was another another version of this. I yeah. did hear in in one of the YouTube reviews they do mention that the extended cut, the longer version, is at a poorer film quality than the standard version. Yeah, um, which is interesting. And apparently, the DVD version of this has some cast and crew interviews and kind of a retrospective of some sort while the blu-ray of it does not have any of that so. yes also explains my confusion about how amazingly uh, incredible quality this was because yeah. i've only seen the crappy one yes oh <laughs> i was gonna point that out to mark too <laughs> well the, yeah but the the shorter length i mean i just kept thinking it's it's crazy that i'm watching a low budget movie from the from the night from 1981 and it looks this good so uh another thing so we kind of mentioned this hillbilly family um it's this this kind of old man there's a a wife of younger yet indeterminate age who looks to be a similar age to what turns out to be the hillbilly daughter and the hillbilly daughter um, is stumbled upon. She's singing at the bottom of the waterfall, and the campers kind of stumble upon her. And 
she gets freaked out. She seems kind of feral. And what she was wearing made no sense. And I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but it looked like she was wearing like an 80s business casual, like knee length dress, button up dress. I mean, she looked like she was Melanie Griffith from Working Girl. And like, I swear at some point she had like pumps on, which I'm probably making up. What? But <laughs> I just felt like that outfit needed. And I was like, what? She is, is not an outsider. She has grown up in like the forest like what is she wearing the least practical and like nonsensical hillbilly dress so what if so there there's something that isn't acknowledged in the movie and and follow me with this yeah when um uh jonathan uh uh jack lemon's son uh stumbles upon wait, the daughter wait 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 Je- chris lemon he- is he the bald, the balding guy? No, no, the, the no. brown hair guy uh, without glasses. Wait, the, the main, the main guy, the non-nerd. The uh, yes, no, the guy who makes out with a topless girl. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is. He is Jack Lemon's son. Yeah, that's Chris Lemon. Oh, oh, is is he a known quantity? Uh, oh, done, actually, he does. Yeah, he has gone on to. Yeah. He's one of those that keeps is still working. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't know he's Jack Lemon's son. So he stumbles upon the uh, the daughter, Mary Cat Logan, uh, in the woods, and she kisses him. And uh, and I imagine she doesn't brush very much, but uh, he continues to kiss her for for a bit <laughs> before pulling away. But in that scene, she's taken. Uh, this is right. He's out there looking for the missing makeup. And she's got makeup all over her face that he never acknowledges. So she had come in overnight and taken her, uh, t- taken the makeup and had been playing with it. So maybe she's the klepto that steals clothing from uh, campers and, and hunters that are out there. And so what she's wearing oh, is an amalgamation of uh, of uh, what she's stolen from uh, campers and hunters that are out there. Well, that kind oh, of that t- ties back to the killer too, stealing items. Totally. Oh, what? Well, oh my! This movie works on so <laughs> many levels. <laughs> Brilliant. But speaking of that, Mary Ann or Mary Catherine, that that girl's name is the Hill. Mary the Hill, Cat. Mary who? Mary Mary Cat. Mary Cat. She is horny AF. <laughs> Uh, she she puts on that makeup and meets that guy, and she is just ready to go. That's uh, true. Question: um, I only noticed this today watching the extended edition, and so I'm wondering, Todd, if this was in the theatrical release. But was there a scene? Uh, did you see where Mary Cat uh, actually meowed like a cat? No, <laughs> no. I think that must have been added. <laughs> That is hilarious. Uh, yes, uh, but, but that, that was um, what you were talking about. Um, when she meets Jonathan in the woods and they start kissing and she's like, I saw you naked. Naked <laughs> in in the lake. And he's like, and did, did you like it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, then he, and then he goes, did your sister like it? Because we've seen there he is uh, on the her screenshot. and, and this, this woman of indeterminate age. And so the guy asks, well... You know, and she—I forget if if Mary Cat mentions her sister or whatever. 
That's the picture of her. Oh yeah, there she is. With the Laura Ashley dress on. (laughs) Uh, She needs just a string of pearls there (laughs) and a a briefcase. Uh, But that's when we realize that it's not her sister, it's her mom. Which I couldn't figure out. Like, I get that they're... Because at, at the end of the movie, when George Kennedy, I think, is talking... George Kennedy does nothing but monologue to himself this whole movie. So I feel True. like they had him for, like, two days of shooting. And it's just like, you're just going to be talking to yourself and this horse. Let's just get through this. Uh, but, Todd, I think you're missing the... It was uh, her, her mom and her sister. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like we, we, George Kennedy mentioned, well, with that much inbreeding, you're bound to have something happen. And that's kind of the explanation of why these killers right. are which, happening. Which is hilarious because when he says that, all he's doing is looking at the body of the killer. And then just by seeing the killer's body, he's able to say, well, that's what you get for inbreeding. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, but, uh, but so even if, so and that made sense because I was like, oh, they're all supposed to be inbred. But even when your <laughs> your mom is your sister, there is still an age gap. Like I get there would be there would be a huge age gap between the dad and the 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 daughter wife. But I mean, there's still got to be at least like a what 12, 15, 20 year gap between the mom and the daughter. Like, I would buy they it. Shouldn't look the same age. Ah, uh, I could buy it. Ah, uh, all right. <laughs> I guess of all things to get caught up on. Um, you know what else they did in this movie that I haven't seen very much is that they show real mouth to mouth. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not used to seeing that. Usually they go in for the mouth to mouth and they kind of cut away or whatever. But I'm like, that's just two, two guys mouth to mouth in the 80s. I was like, right on. That's pretty great. He <laughs> gives two breaths and calls him dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Mark, are you able to play any audio from this at all? Okay. Um, n- not easily. Okay. No. I might drop it in later. I might not. But um, kind of going back to how a lot of the tension of this is lost because we know it's just this big, dumpy, fat guy. Uh, in one of the more final scenes where um, we're back at the church and the redheaded girl and her and the nerdy guy are all of a sudden being preyed upon by what we then find out as twins. When we're seeing one of the big dumpy fat guys outside, they're playing the score of the movie is a timpani, but like when you strike the timpani and you tune it at the same time, you know how it kind of does that why or why? Like they're doing that. So like we're watching this dumpy fat guy and this like bow wow bow bow. I was like, what what is happening, you guys? <laughs> Uh, overall, though, the soundtrack was uh, really good, I thought. Um, there, yeah. there wasn't enough of it. Uh, I was going to say, the only thing I noticed of that is that I felt like there could have been more, but in watching another video, apparently this, this guy who scored the movie is pretty well known for a bunch of other horror movies as well. Right, well, um, here, so I, I wanted to do this to, to see if you could figure out what else uh, he is most famously known for scoring. So oh, okay. See if you can figure this out. All I'm going to do is clap.
The, oh, that is that's Terminator. Yes, it is. You got it. And you you know why I know that is because that's like that's the sound I make when I. <laughs> That's the sound I make when I punch in my pin number because it's four <laughs> numbers plus an enter. Da 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 da. And I always hear I hear it from Terminator. I I hear it from Terminator Two specifically and the more metallic clanging. But yeah, oh well, wow, that's, uh, he that's, created that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's really great. So. Let's see. There are a couple other things that I thought were uh, of note at the, at the very end, where our hero guy, what's his what's his name? Uh, Warren. Can, Warren. The, the main Jonathan? the main boyfriend of of the blonde. I don't know anyone's name. In this movie, yeah. The final two standing. The blind guy is Warren. Okay. Yeah. So he and Connie. Connie is the girl. Okay, and Connie. I kept calling her Karen, but she's Connie. So what I thought was funny about there's a couple interesting screenwriting things that are that are sort of blatant but i appreciate it that they actually included them because a lot of these especially knockoff horror movies are just not present at all and one of those i mentioned it was the chekhov's whistle where they introduce this whistle at the beginning that continues to kind of play a part throughout but also uh even though they kind of do that 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 trope where all of the campers are there except for one and they're worried for his safety and then there's some rustling in the bushes and everyone's scared and then oh the guy jumps out and it was the missing guy pretending to scare everyone like that's become like a boring and that unfolded also in five minutes of real time which i was not so happy about but after that um connie the main girl kind of has an aside with with her boyfriend about like man i was able to make a fire i was able to put up this tent i was able to, to provide for all of us but when that scare happened i didn't make a move i didn't i didn't go for the knife i did not pick up the knife and i was like oh cool they're setting her up for a little arc because by the end of the movie she'll be the final girl and like that's really great and she did up being the final girl but they didn't complete the metaphor because she never picked up a knife <laughs> i was really <laughs> upset by that <laughs> But I want to talk about how she metaphorically picks up a knife, which is one of the most insane things I've ever seen. I forget what... uh, There was another movie that we did that I now can't remember whose final moments just... Draw. Oh, it's, it, it was in Cabin Fever where he beats her. That that one guy beats the other lady to death in the face with a shovel and pours <laughs> gasoline on her. So who wants who wants to tell what happens at the end of this movie, the final battle? Oh, Brian, go for it, Brian. Oh, it's amazing. Um, so at the end, um, we've uh, killed one of the two homicidal brothers um, who was shot by the ranger, um, and then at this point, uh, Warren and Connie are hanging around the campfire, uh, and they're going to just spend the night and head out in the morning. It seems. Um, but the audience knows, of course, that there's another killer out there, and of course he shows up and he stabs uh, Warren in the stomach with his knife, and then at this point Connie jumps on his back and starts pounding him, and then I think they fall to the ground, and then the camera, uh, you just suddenly see like a, a point of view shot from Connie, and you see the face of the killer, and then you see her <laughs> arm and fist enter his mouth and just keep going. 
Uh, and then you cut to a side shot, and you see Connie with her whole hand fist shoved down his throat. She is elbow deep <laughs> into his mouth, and it doesn't. Okay. Oh my god. It's jarring. It is it very is jarring. Shocking. And so I'm watching this. So yeah, you set up that right. Uh, it's right after the moment where their friends are killed. Then she puts on the makeup and acts all horny for some reason because we kind of realize that she is now kind of ready to complete her arc. She's kind of put on battle armor, I guess, in a form of makeup. And the twin comes out and stabs the boyfriend. I loved how the boyfriend, I don't think he, the boyfriend doesn't die, right? It is not shown one way or the no, other. I don't. I don't think he dies. But I loved how the rest of the fight and the rest of the movie, he's just like yes, yes, weeping and crying and like being a total baby on the floor while his, the the girlfriend kicks ass. Well, he kind of has like a shocked look on his face when this happens, and he just kind of has his jaw dropped while she's got his like the rest of us. <laughs> yes, he's our audience stand in at this point. And so yeah, so. Uh, so she, Connie jumps on the murderer's back and is pounding. They fall to the ground. Then the murderer picks Connie up and does like a, you know, a bear hug. And so she's, he's, she's trying, he's trying to kind of strangle or crush her. And so I'm watching it and they show this shot where, where Connie is being crushed and she's right up against the murderer's ear. And I'm thinking, you know, bite his ear, you know, headbutt it, like fight back. And then she punches her fist down his throat and not like punches and then like retracts her arm. She just shoves her arm down his throat and holds it there as he dies. And it was insane. And I don't even know how they did it because they just... It's not quick cuts. It's just her fist entering his mouth and her whole, like, up to her elbow. So I did read an interview with the director, and he yeah. said he said that his whole thought process there was just that he wanted to end the movie with a kill that had never been seen on film before. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, and, he, and he said that that was accomplished with a fake mouth uh, appendage. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow, and that, I mean, it was so, and what, I mean, what a great appendage, because it didn't look like, I mean, even the Nightmare on Elm Street movies throughout the 80s, like, looked pretty shitty with a lot of that stuff, but, like, that was so convincing, I'm like, is it a prosthetic arm that's, you know, just, but I'm like, but that actress <laughs> They had to find an arms. actor who had an abnormally large throat. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was it was certainly one of the most sh shocking things that I've ever seen. And it wasn't like super gory and disgusting. It's not like it blew out his head or anything. But just the fact that she was just holding her entire fist in a guy's throat until he died. I think it makes died. it more disturbing that there's no blood or anything. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, man. Um, that was so amazing. So you know who auditioned for the role of the killer? It would have been even more interesting to, to see her with her, her fist down uh, Richard Keel's uh, throat. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That would have been pretty great. <laughs> well, we could have had. <laughs> the man with the the biggest jaw. and Him and Robert Zadar <laughs> with <the> giant, <laughs> giant jaws. 
Uh, there was another great moment towards the end there when um, the blonde guy is looking for the nerdy guy with glasses and he's walking around the, um, the forest at night with a lantern and he's kind of doing that thing where he's like kind of looking towards the camera and like sweeping the light in front of it and behind him as he's sweeping that light another another kind of sweeping light illuminates the dead body behind him and they kind of do that a couple times where that and i thought that shot was like really neat and really effective and like like i said before i don't think there's any huge problems other than the killer itself with this movie i mean it's just really even for someone like me who's not a huge fan of of this this genre that i you know i watch them all or whatever it's just just it's a really great movie. Yeah, the, there was one moment when I uh, was really surprised. Go, you know, going into this, I didn't think I, this movie obviously had more of a budget than I thought going in, um, and that became painfully clear uh, the minute you start hearing uh, Blondie playing in the yes. camera. Yes, yeah. I was like, wow, yes. they actually afforded an actual song. <laughs> Just one, but they used it really good right up front to make it, yeah, to make it feel like, did you, did you find the budget of this movie? Do you know what it was? I didn't. Yeah, I don't either. And it, like, it must not have been super successful. I wonder, I'm going to, let me get a vamp. I'm going to look up the Wikipedia. I, I did read that it only played in theaters in Miami and Philadelphia. Um, budget, budget of one million. Oh, wow. That's pretty big for... Yeah. 1981 horror movie. I wonder what it grossed back. That that's crazy that it wasn't released more places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it again screened in Philadelphia and Miami, and France. <laughs> it, I loved this uh, that it was titled in France uh, "Survivance" in order to sound more like Deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even make That's the Deliverance amazing. connection uh, when I watched it, but that totally makes sense. Survivance. <laughs> so then it was released on DVD in 2005, so it was kind of forgotten that whole time. Yeah. It wow. Is, I would call this a true uh, hidden gem. I think I would, too. I, and, and again, I, which I wrote in my notes, is that it's a little it's a little too competent and good to the point where it gets boring because I watched it uh, the second time on like 1.2 times speed. And even then I was like, this is, this is very sluggish in sections, which I wasn't super excited about, but and yeah, the extended cut does nothing but exacerbate that problem. So I don't recommend the extended cut at all. Okay. It is, this is on on YouTube. The quality of the the quality on YouTube is not good, uh, especially compared to the to the version we saw, which must have been a, a Blu-ray. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it is on YouTube. Uh, it's totally worth worth checking out, especially that that last fight with that punch into the throat was just just quite something. Um. What else did I write down? Um, I read that the church, uh, the abandoned church, was a set that they built specifically for the movie. Oh, wow. Hmm. So that's not something we're going to go find. Oh, shoot. There's no party. (laughs) COVID party at that small abandoned (laughs) church. (laughs) Um, There was a little thing in the beginning that I felt like maybe was in the first draft, the, the more demon draft of this movie. But when the campers are driving down the road even before they meet the ranger i think they see 
they see some other hillbilly family unrelated playing and there's a, a <gasps> set of twins. Yes. And they're like, oh, another set of twins. There must Gemini. Be in the water. Yeah. Gemini. So that must have been some sort of thread because we see no other twins except those kids in the beginning and then what turns out to be the killer. Yeah. So I thought that, that was interesting. Forgotten, a forgotten thing that they were doing. The very first kill, uh, which was the one in the church where the guy gets stabbed through the dick and out the butt. The very first thing, because the, the killer stabs him and then giggles exactly like Dr. Like Dr. Giggles. Oh. And I, I was, was like, mention that, oh, like, no. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Thankfully, that did not seem to be a big theme. But it was just this yeah. weird little set of like, <laughs> <laughs> I was getting flashbacks. <laughs> uh, what else did I have written down? <laughs> Nothing much. Did you guys have anything else that you that you wanted to talk about with this movie? Um, I did like, I used it at the beginning, but I liked how the, the old hill man said, I told you to skadoot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it, this movie couldn't be made, I think, in any other time, like the fact that it was made in 81 uh, makes everything about it feel genuine. Um, and, you know, if, if you're looking for just a fun slasher film, um, I this is definitely something good to just put on and enjoy the, the Halloween season by. Yeah, totally. And and again, it's not like this movie is full of, like there's not a ton of gore. There's hardly any gore, really. Yeah. Uh, and there's not, there's not a lot of stunts, but the stunts, I mean, even on the first watching when I watched, I, I kind of want to go back to that bridge because it's very like, and this was pre- uh, Temple of Doom, so they they have to go over top of of Silver Fall. It was actually a different waterfall; it was a shorter one, but still like as wide as Silver Falls. And there was one of those bridges that I don't know if there's a term for it, but it's basically a V or like an inverted triangle where there's one <clears throat> rope to walk on and then two upper ropes to kind of hold on to, which right. is a scary bridge anyway. And then they show all of them walking on it from like a, a super far angle. And at one point, one guy's like hanging Dan off of it. And like you don't see Daniel wires Falls, and yeah. stuff like that, then, which they yeah. probably didn't have in 1980. And like it's just all this real stunts that really helped ground the movie and make it feel like like very dangerous. Yeah. And, and I will say that, um, you know, the, it definitely went on a little bit long, but uh, it does a really good job with um, setting up the characters where you, you know, you really feel kind of part of them um it's kind of natural the just interactions that they're having yeah totally um so yeah if 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 you are at all a, a fan of horror movies uh, in particular or just want something that you've never seen before even though the whole entire movie <coughs> is spoiled and i guess we should have said this at the beginning <laughs> spoiler alert then check out yeah. just before dawn uh which again i said it is on youtube but um yeah, this was this was a very fun and very rewarding watch because it was just all just surprisingly good for what it is. And that is kind of a knockoff 1980s generic slasher movie. Yeah, I just worry how long it's going to be before we find uh, another movie that we enjoy this much. 
Well, when we were talking before before you picked this movie, there are two uh, two horror movies that have come out of Portland that are that are that are legitimately good. I haven't. I've only seen one of them, which is the. Um, Oh crap! Now I'm forgetting the rise the rise of Leslie Vernon, mm. and there's another one called Green Room with Patrick um, Stewart. With Patrick Stewart, that and both at which I haven't seen, but so there's always hope at least in the Halloweens to come uh, that we will hit upon something good. So, but yeah, this was a, a true trick or treat uh, this month to find. <laughs> so I'm glad you found it. Um, yeah, the Unipiper. What are you doing? Where can I buy one of those wonderful Unipiper <laughs> masks that I've been seeing all over the internet? Uh, yes, if you would like uh, a timely uh, item of a Unipiper-themed face mask, you can pick one of those up uh, over at my website, unipiper.com. And yeah, they are really cool. One of them, Mark, it looks like that's the one you have, the PDX carpet <clears throat> one. Yep. Um, and I haven't picked up mine yet, but I got the, I think the 8-bit one with your little 8-bit graphic of the Unipiper and then another another more professional one that has a nice a nice subtle Unipiper gray logo the in Unipiper the corner. The Unipiper Classic. Yes. It's yeah. my, I've, got, it, I've got that one as well. That'll be my dressy. That'll be my, <laughs> exactly. my church mask. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go check that out. Uh, check out, we mentioned it last time too, I think, Mike Bennett Art. Uh, Mike Bennett, a friend um Especially of Brian, uh, Mark, and uh, and I know him a little bit too as well. But this is doing these really great art installations in North North. Is he in Northeast Portland or Southeast Portland? Northeast, Northeast. Northeast. Uh, of he did a an A to Z zoo, an A to Z crypto zoo, and now I think he's doing an insect and bug uh, type installation where he makes these amazing. Uh, wood cutouts that he paints to look like they're just so joyful and cheerful and just wonderful so go check out Mike Bennett Art on Instagram. Uh, Mark, what about you? When you're not busy programming, are you doing anything fun? (laughs) Which is no time at all. Uh, Yeah, you and I do a podcast called uh, The Mark and Toddcast and so you can find us at markandtodcast.com and uh, we talk about things going on in Portland and some science topics. Yes, and, uh, yes. it's a lot of fun. And, and Todd, yeah. uh, what are you doing? I hear you have a project that now has a thousand <gasps> subscribers. I do, yes, I have. Go to uh, youtube.com slash RIPVHS and check out my found VHS channel, which did just pass 1,000 subscribers, none of which have I bought. <laughs> <laughs> So nice. yes, it's my fun, uh, my my fun quote unquote art installation of found VHS tapes, uh, and it has now been revealed to the world. My outdoor art project of slowly growing a tree around a VHS copy of Mark Wilson's Video Course in Magic, which I've shoved into a tree into my yard and will slowly grow into it over the course That's of the next awesome. couple of years. So That's fun. Yes, check all that out. Uh, check out uh, our older shows at portlandthemovies.com. Um, and, uh, oh, and we can also be here on Fun Employment Radio. Check them out. Uh, they are uh, back to doing shows every day of the week for free. But you can also join their sub- uh, supporters club and get extra stuff. And you can get our show an extra day early if you uh, subscribe to their their uh, supporters club. So check them out. Uh, other than that, uh, we will see you guys next month. Awesome. All right. Bye. See ya.